Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to the United Citizens of Europe podcast. This is Luca and today we have a special episode with Saji, a Jewish contribution to an inclusive Europe. And Julia Moser will be here representing them. We will discuss how to combat hate speech online and offline. We will talk about the trainings that Seji offers and how to deal with the raising discrimination towards minorities. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Julia. How are you? Hi, Luca. I'm good. Thank you. Why don't we start the interview by talking a bit about you, like who you are, what is your role in the organization and uh, where you come from? Sure. Um, my name is Julia Moser. I'm originally from Hungary and I've been here in Brussels for more than four years with Seji, oh, a cool. Jewish contribution to an inclusive Europe. And I work here as a communication and policy officer. And in the policy function, I focus mostly on, on hate speech and related online harm. So everything that's happening online and is not for the betterment of society, um, I'm dealing with those. That's very interesting. We are a group of young adults and our audience tends to be of young adults and uh, teenagers. So would you mind if I ask you uh, what you studied and how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it wasn't a straightforward journey, just to say it in the beginning. Um, I started my studies in Hungary. I did one year of political science, which I really enjoyed, but I found it slightly uh, too theoretical for my taste back then. So after one year also, because I've had this on my mind for a long time, ever since I was basically a early young teenager, that I'd like to spend some years abroad, just like the great writers of uh, different countries did when they were looking for inspiration. So after my first year at university, I, I decided to switch entirely and move to Denmark to study business and marketing, which was a huge wow. change in every, in every sense. And once I was there, I, I realized this, this works really well for me. It was a really good fit, both the practical approach of the studies and also being abroad, um, meeting all the different people from, from different nations. And it turned out to be quite easy relatively, uh, to go on Erasmus from Denmark. It was much easier than, than from Hungary. So then I went and did the second year in Rennes in France, um, still continuing with the business studies. And because of the way that the program was structured, I could do the third year in England. So I applied to various universities and did oh, the last wow. year in, in Bournemouth. Yeah. And that's, that concluded my business and marketing or business management um, bachelor degree. And after that, I spent a few years studying because I felt still a lot studying, but working because I still felt like that's a good basis, having a normal, solid understanding of business and marketing. But I wasn't entirely sure where I want to go long term. So I was working for a short time in, in China, in France. I moved back to Hungary <laughs> until figuring that I'd like to do a master's, um, which I eventually did in, in Leicester. So I went back to England and did a master's in media and public relations, thinking if I want to step away a bit from business and more into international relations or a related area, that I'd, that a communication is a way that you can do in either of these um, sort of sectors. And that turned out quite well in a sense that I, I really enjoy to this day doing communications and the part that you're processing a lot of information and, and it's quite dynamic. Um, but my studying didn't stop there. <laughs> I hope you were not expecting a short answer. Oh, because... no, at all, at all. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> because uh, I actually enrolled and, and, and started this year. Uh, so this September, 
um, another master's now, this time at KU Leuven. I'm doing the mass program. So I'm actually doing a full circle and going back to a certain extent, uh, political science and international relations that I started um, a long, long time ago in, in Hungary. And um, just started my master's there. I'm almost done with the first semester. So I fully empathize with everyone who's had a busy exam period. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Oh, wow. I, didn't, I really didn't expect that. <laughs> that's very good. And how is it? Um, how is it like doing a second master's degree, like after a long time? It's really um, revitalizing, I would say. And I, I actually find this is also why it's nice to reflect on how I felt about political science uh, more than 10 years ago, which I felt like, oh, it's really theoretical. And now I'm sort of uh, deep diving into all the theories and I quite enjoy it probably because I can also connect to like it's a way for me to also from a more theoretical perspective reflect on the work that we do and the work that I do which gives it a very nice frame and also a more personal commitment probably so I really enjoy it I, I really really do it's I'm surprised to see how much <laughs> I enjoy it <laughs> um so would that be the reason why you decided to work for um, CJI? CJ, yes, um, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. We'll all pronounce it differently. You haven't heard the Hungarian pronunciation yet. CJ <laughs> <laughs> um, came to to my life also in a sort of uh, in a completely unexpected way, and it turned out to be a a, a really really good fit. I was when I applied for this job in Greece because my partner was working um, in a refugee camp. So I moved after him. I mean, like you already sensed that I've moved around a lot before settling down in Brussels. And it was the same about my partner. So when he got a job in Brussels, um, in, in Greece, I moved there and was looking for a job there. But it was really difficult. I don't speak a word of Greek. So after a certain period, we agreed I would try elsewhere as well. And then one day this um, job ad pops up on my newsfeed. Uh, a friend shared it. This this organization in Brussels is looking for a communication officer. And I was like, what's this organization? Oh, it's a Jewish organization. That's great because I worked for a Jewish organization before I really enjoyed it. And then I look at it and it's like, oh, it's not just dealing with anti-Semitism, but it deals with all forms of discrimination, yeah. which I was really, really enthusiastic about. And, and actually, that's what I also put into my motivation letter, which I still remember, was recalling them. Holocaust Remembrance Day from Leicester, where we had a Holocaust survivor who came to talk to the students together with a Bosnian man who survived uh, the Yugoslavian wars. Um, and then they shared their experience and being concentration camps and, and, and the fact that they were there together advocating for not just remembrance, but how we have to change our approaches and how we need a more active connection to what, what things are happening nowadays in contemporary society instead of just recalling what happened 20 or 30 or 70 years ago. That really stuck with me. And that's also what, what then motivated me to, to apply to SEGI, which, uh, which was a successful application, thank God. And, uh, and then my communi communication position also evolved more towards dealing with hate speech um, until I ended up being a hate speech advisor, which recently has been changed to policy officer. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, a lot of so accidental events, yes. <laughs> yeah, but they're all like, I don't know, they, 
then in the end, you know, they they all made sense, and now you're um, and now you're also like in one place for like how many years now? <laughs> More than four years. I'm officially so, yeah. old. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, well, maybe you know, like it can also be like not um, not necessarily like good because maybe if you liked traveling and moving around, I don't know. Uh, I'm getting crazy with moving around every six months. Um, so to be honest, like I I cannot wait uh, to just settle this time. But um, but yeah, maybe some some people like still like uh, moving around. Absolutely. What do you think about it? Like, are you are you okay with the with settling or? I think I reached the point when yes, but I did almost like ten years moving around and not never accumulating more than twenty three kilos of items, and not having my books nearby, and I eventually went for a Kindle. Oh my God, yeah. But um, yeah. So so I think it, it it happened at the right time, but it also had to be the right place, which is which was unexpected because again. I hadn't been to Brussels before actually moving here apart from the interview once. So it was, um, it was a big bet, but it turned out really well. Uh, that, that's so, that's so interesting. Okay, so now let's talk about uh, Seji, because <laughs> uh, we're here for this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what does it stand for and what is the goal of the organization? Seji's goal, uh, the mission statement, which I really, uh, truly adore, and I like to say it very slow because I think it, it really we have to wait to uh, to let all the items uh, sink in. So basically, Seji works for a Europe of diversity and respect where everyone can fulfill their full potential with all their diversities. Uh, and at the same time, it works to promote social cohesion and the, through education and advocacy we aim to to reach this goal and says so he works with people of all backgrounds and cultures and religions and i think it's a beautiful um mission statement and i like to recall it the fact that we're also working with change agents and and creating multipliers so it's it's it really captures the diversity and the beauty of diversity and inclusivity but also how through this everyone can actually you know proceed and progress in their lives and, and, and reach their full, full potential, which I think is often, you know, withheld um, or not necessarily happening because of the many obstacles that are out there. So we try to to work on those obstacles and, and also put in place positive measures when there are a lot of negative forces and events happening. Um, Seji is also part of, of the NOAA network overcoming anti-Semitism. And um, in the past couple of years, the difference towards minorities uh, is uh, the diffidence. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. towards minorities is rising, and anti-Semitism is one of those sentiments that is um, that is on the rise as well. What is uh, Seji and Noah doing to deal uh, with this situation? So I would say this this situation is 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 basically the core problem that we're trying to tackle in various ways. And so how we function in terms of the main two components of our activities, which is education and advocacy. We do a lot of trainings. Um, we used to do it in person and we hopefully will do in-person training soon again. But we train not only uh, teachers here in Belgium on overcoming anti-Semitism and overcoming um, Islamophobia, but also we train EU officials and uh, international organizations around similar topics or on unconscious bias. We also have a lot of trainings on hate crime and hate speech. These are usually um, through de delivered within the framework of the Facing Facts project that I'm surely we'll get to um, later on that focuses on hate crime and hate speech. So we're training police officers, we're training other civil society organizations on how to 
recognize hate crimes, how to record and monitor hate crimes, because we need good data in order to be able to advocate for better policies and policy changes. And this is how the education part, which is the core of our activity, comes back to you and fits perfectly with the advocacy part. Because whatever we learn through our training, um, that are many of them are literally like grassroots training and, and grassroots level, that we can channel all these experience back to policy making and, and to our advocacy efforts. So by advocacy efforts, it's, it's, it's all the discussions and partnership building with other NGOs, with the European institutions, with social media companies, when it comes to our, our hate speech work, with the key stakeholders in order to, 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 to steer the direction of, of, of policies towards the betterment, not only minorities, but of everyone. Yeah, so um, you're talking about like advocacy, and, uh, and I found really interesting that you need you said that you need good data to become good advocates, basically, and that's that that's true. I mean, <laughs> it's um, it's kind of like the basis of advocacy. Uh, so you are an advocacy group, and um, so how do you do your work? Like, how do you find partners? Uh, how do you do your networking? Right. So that's a very organic process, I would say, but it's probably also because Deji's going to celebrate its 30th anniversary this year. So it's, it's, it's not a new organization. We've been here for quite a while. And we develop a lot of partnerships and we cherish our partnerships because we believe in, in mutual learning. And this is also what was encapsulated through the Facing Facts project series and Facing All the Facts when we were... I'll, I'll tell you a bit more about Facing Facts because I think it captures well our, our, our approach in general. It started in 2011 between uh, Jewish and LGBT groups with the premise that Jewish organizations traditionally had a lot of experience in hate crime monitoring and recording and LGBT groups are really good in advocacy. So what if we bring these two groups together and then they can learn from each other and then strengthen their communities and advocacy efforts through that. And that was in 2011. And then throughout the years, uh, facing all the facts that we finished officially the project, but obviously it lives on in, in all our trainings. Uh, we finished it last year. It grew into a partnership of, of, of 10 different uh, communities and organizations and universities joining in. So we could develop online courses, not only on anti-Semitic hate crimes, but also anti-Muslim, anti-Roma, anti-LGBT, anti-refugee, anti-disability, anti-Black. So different forms of, of hate crimes and, and bias indicators. And that obviously had to, it wasn't us developing all these courses by ourselves because we're not experts of these topics but it's coming together and learning together and building the course curriculum allows to create stronger relationships and 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 shared goals that are really motivating for everyone who's involved in the process and then and then with the hope that it leaves everyone more skilled at their work and 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 better in recording data and all the practicalities of of um of, of monitoring and then advocating for better policies, so it's 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 a it's a case study of of a bit of how we work and and how we create partnerships that then are create better and better, um, hopefully implementations and measures and results. I would say. Yeah. Um, one of my questions would be like, how have you implemented your uh, your advocacy work during times of COVID? Of you know everything being online. You know, nothing is face to face anymore. Well, it is face to face, but yeah. with the <laughs> with the screen and I don't know, sometimes weird backgrounds. 
Yes, <laughs> which is also in a nice, it's, in, in a way it became nicer, maybe more human. But um, well, when it comes to the advocacy part, I mean, yes, many of, of the events moved online and we had to adapt. Probably it was a bigger challenge for our trainings in a sense that, especially when it comes to trainings and there is a deep reflection on your own uh, beliefs and biases, then it's much harder to, to do it online. We found out it's still possible, <laughs> so that's good, but it's but it's it's somewhat more challenging. But when it comes to the advocacy part, I mean, the meetings um, still take place. Many of, of the meetings with social media companies that used to be offline are now online, which I think it's quite easy to, to adapt to. Um, so I would say the advocacy part continued quite well. And, and in terms of the training part, we also managed to adapt quite well, but also because our online learning platform was set up already in 2015. So it didn't caught us by surprise, basically. When, when everything had to be moved online, we're like, oh, well, we have only learning platforms. So we'll just uh, start, start adapting some of our training materials. So I think the, the advocacy part luckily continues. I mean, it's very different than it was before, but hopefully it's, it's not going to stay as it is for too long. <laughs> yeah. You have uh, different projects and uh, you talked about uh, Facing Facts, uh, which is now uh, over, right? It ended it, 2020. Yeah, the EU funded part ended in, in, in 2019, but we continue oh. because because it's a it's an enormous uh, resource that we can still exploit and build upon. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about other projects that you, that you have? Right. Yes. And I and I should also talk a bit about Noah <laughs> that you asked in the first question, but I got completely carried away with facing facts. Um, yes. One of the biggest projects that we started last year, last February, was Noah Networks Overcoming Antisemitism. It's a project that is coordinated by SEGI and we're really really proud and happy about it and to to actually partner up with major Jewish organizations like the World Jewish Congress, but also uh, EJS, uh, EAPJ, um, I Bright Europe. I have to give a shout out to everyone. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the uh, EUPJ I mentioned. So um, NOAA brings a, a, a holistic approach uh, to anti-Semitism and it really as I see it, it really encapsulates also the SEGI approach, working from grassroots level all the way to policymaking. So we plan various activities within the project. In terms of fighting anti-Semitism and overcoming anti-Semitism, we actually have a major research that is underway now in five countries, including uh, Sweden, Italy, Hungary, um, which aims to look at how each country um, handles or approaches anti-Semitism, how, how it scores when it comes to fighting anti-Semitism in different areas in the media or in education or when it comes to hate crime and hate speech. And then by the end of this research, we should have a scorecard for each country where we can see what are some of the uh, policies that are missing or, or some of the areas that are not doing so well. So we can then recommend improvements uh, to those countries to improve the situation. And hopefully this methodology will also be useful for for other communities later on. But it's not just about what happens in on policy level and initial um, uh, member states, but also how we can. That's actually one of my favorite parts of Noah is is how we can also create a positive image of Jewish people, because when it comes to uh, anti-Semitism or Jewish people, people think usually when it comes to Jewish people, people think of anti-Semitism of the Holocaust 
or Israel. But there's very little information um, available or information accessible that it emphasizes better positive contributions from Jewish people to wider society, whether it's throughout history or in contemporary forms. And so we started with the project uh, social media campaign where we create so-called profiles or profiling people and organizations or persons who are Jewish or have a Jewishness to their project and their initiatives. And then they work for the betterment of wider society. So within this, we featured, for example, Charity Taxi in, in Hungary, one of my favorite projects um, that delivers um, secondhand clothes to impoverished villages in Hungary and then also connected to leadership training there. So there, there's a community building aspect in it. We did um, cover Amuna, an interfaith initiative in France or the Jewish revival in, in, in Spain and how it happens within a, a multicultural and interfaith um, environment. So that's a bit about having also a positive approach. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the approach of not just countering what is wrong, but also how we can replace it or propose a positive alternative um, to what exists. But NOAA also involves, involves a lot more. I could talk about <laughs> for a long time, even though I'm not the coordinator. It's my colleague, Tommy. But um, I will also include a trainer trainer on our uh, newly refreshed overcoming anti-Semitism training. We're also be partnering with AAPJ on their uh, cultural days. So there's a lot of activities uh, about NOAA. The project is still going on. And hopefully in the second part, we will have more in-person meetings. I'll try not to say <laughs> there about every project, but <laughs> I think we're reaching the point where, where everyone is, is craving in-person meetings. So, so there is uh, much more coming up in terms of NOAA. But that's just a, one, one, not just, that's a major project that we've been working on. But we are also working on projects where we're not the coordinator, like in the case of NOAA or Facing Facts, but we're partners. And one of the projects is called We Can, which I think will be very, um, probably that, that might be one of the most interesting projects for, for your audience because it has a youth focus. Um, specifically on how to counter hate speech and create human rights-based narratives in countering hate speech. So we've been working for almost an entire year. It is coordinated by the Council of Europe. So the No Hate Speech Movement is also involved on tools and research on counter speech and, and, and counter strategies. And then we're going to have now move into the training part where Seji takes the lead on developing a hate speech course or updating our existing hate speech course on facing facts online to be suitable for a youth audience. So we're running a cohort in April, starting in April, and then it will be followed with different training opportunities. So for those who are interested in train the trainer possibilities for counter speech and building human rights narratives, there'll be training opportunities um, on this topic, as well as on uh, specific thematic seminars on anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim and anti-Roma hate speech. So there's also a lot of lot of activities coming up on, on that. And we're also partners in, I'm not going to list all the projects, just like highlighting <laughs> some of them. No, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> well, also partners in the, pre, in the Brave project that deals more with um, countering extremism. So we've, uh, we've partnered in developing an online course that's available on future learn on how interfaith activities can help to um, counter and prevent extremism. And we also have another project that is starting this year 
Uh, we're also partnered there. It's going to be in Italy. So if you have Italians oh. in your audience, it's going to be very relevant. <laughs> um, it's called Ingrid, and it's going to be focusing on intersectionality in, in, in fighting discrimination. That's where my um, colleague Melissa takes the lead because she's Italian. So there are a lot of other projects, and now I'm just highlighting a few and not mentioning a lot of others, not to can, continue for hours. Can I ask but, how uh, can one... Okay, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, how yeah, can yeah. one participate? Right. So, when it comes to the trainings that I mentioned, usually there is an open call, which so we always advertise the opportunities where Seji is involved. So, if there is a project that we're partnering, um, we always advertise them. The safest option is usually either to follow us on Twitter or on Facebook, or to subscribing um, to our newsletter called Call, which is a biweekly newsletter. Every second Tuesday, it goes out. And whenever we have upcoming trainings and, and opportunities that are open for um, public, uh, wider public, we always advertise them there. So I would be, I would say that's the safest option, not to miss any of these fantastic opportunities. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, if if you uh, also have um, some, if you advertise them on Instagram as well, we are ready to reshare them on our right. stories and our platforms because like they look very interesting. And to be honest, like. I might also participate because <laughs> they look very Thanks interesting. Too. So yeah, it's a pleasure. <laughs> so I would love to to be part of it. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so one of the most interesting things that I found uh, browsing your um, website is again, as you also mentioned multiple times, is the fact that it uh, Seji looks very inclusive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on publications you can find pieces of research on antisemitism, but also Islamophobia. In advocacy, you state that you contribute to policymaking processes dealing with antisemitism, racism, xenophobia, discrimination, and diversity education. So, I mean, you used this word before, but can we define then uh, SEGI as an intersectional organization? Right. So, I, yes, I refer to my colleague Camilla, who's been researching intersectionally with this question. I was just thinking, like, that's a very, very good question because my inclination would be yes, but then it's not really institutionalized. And what, and, and she kind of confirmed that. So in a sense that I think Seji aims to create a space, whether it's in informal or in uh, informal discussions and conversations, to to acknowledge the different uh, forms of racism and and also equally acknowledge our different layers of of privileges. But I I think. What Camille also said, and I fully agree with that, that it's it's a work in progress. So I wouldn't necessarily, you know, put the label on ourselves, but I would say like it's 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 worth working towards. However, we do pay attention to as much as we can to to address intersectionality. So, for example, in the bias indicators courses that I mentioned in different communities, we we developed community guidelines for police officers and for anyone dealing with the community when it came to to hate crime. And in each community guideline, we also had sections on on overlapping uh, discrimination and intersectionality or how women are often uh, more exposed to various forms and different layers at the same time of discrimination. And also in, in one of the projects that, that ended last year, SCAN that was focusing on hate speech, we had a research dedicated specifically to the intersectional uh, hate speech that that is pretty much everywhere on the Internet. So we do we do uh, work a lot on on that and and we work a lot on 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 the various forms of discrimination. Yes. 
because like you, you use the word intersectionality mm -hmm. like often and, and again like as it looks like from the, the projects that you do it looks mm -hmm. very uh intersectional so mm -hmm. i wouldn't be so shy to say that you know it's yeah, a work in progress okay. it looks like it's not that much of work in progress because it looks like it is <laughs> i don't know but i don't know you Maybe decide it's how my to... half a year back to academia i'm like can it be i have like this long <laughs> argument <laughs> to make sure that we define each uh, element of the sentence but yes up, up to you i'm happy to be labeled as such definitely okay <laughs> um but i mean I don't know. I mean, I have this as a question, but like it, we kind of answered uh, this question already. But why is it important to focus on other issues other than just anti-Semitism? Mm. I think the core of, of, of what we do and our, uh, our mission is that how can you know, we advance one minority without advancing them all at the same time? So if we all push into the same direction and for the betterment, it's just more likely that we're going to achieve our goal. And this has been proven true again and again through our work and through all the partnerships and cooperation. So I think uh, we have we have enough evidence that this is a this is the right approach forward in every sense of right. Yeah. And that looks like a very intersectional answer to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> uh, okay, so. This is a question that we always ask um, when we interview organizations, because again, we are young professionals and uh, we have an audience of young professionals. Um, and I'm going to ask this to you too. So are you looking for interns or volunteers? Yes, I would say we're always looking for, as you can imagine, like we're, we're involved in a lot of different projects. I highlighted a few in our discussion, but we're actually a very small team of six people plus two oh. trainees, yes, and through a lot of um, external partners who are very reliable. So we have um, different capacities. And I would also say not just necessarily volunteers or interns, but I would also encourage if anyone is interested in a certain project or certain areas of our work, you can always send your CV because there is, you know, inside an organization, there are always discussions about what we would need and what skills we're looking for. Um, we also have traineeships regularly advertised. So absolutely, uh, you can you can always reach out to to us or to me specifically. Definitely. Okay, I will be. Uh, is is it okay then if I leave your email in the description? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Feel free to. <laughs> okay, great then. Again, thank you very much. We are we are reaching the end of the interview. Uh, do you have anything that you want to promote? Um, I would say yes. I mean, please subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on Facebook and, and, and Twitter if you're interested in any of the training opportunities or, or the research outputs that we've been producing and to, to hear more about our work. And uh, I think I highlighted most of the upcoming trainings that will be relevant for your audience. So I won't repeat those, but I hope some of them will, will, will spark or kindle a spark in, in your listeners and then I might see them in one of our trainings. Oh, I really hope so. Again, thank you very much. It was a very lovely chat. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Luca. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode. Um, make sure you follow us, you rate us five stars on Apple Podcast, and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter. You can find us as United Citizens of Europe. See you next week. <laughs>